Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, I wanted you to know that this coming Sunday, April the 11th, we'll begin a brand new series entitled, Next Steps. We all have next steps to take in following Jesus, and we want to highlight what we believe are the three most important steps to take. So, if you're looking to take your next step in following Jesus, don't miss next Sunday. And now, here's today's podcast episode. Good morning. Welcome here to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. This is Easter Sunday. I look forward to and I love every single Sunday, but there's something special about this one right here. Uh, especially last year, we were 100% online. It's great to be back in the room with you, and it's also great that we've gained the ability to worship with you at home as well. So I'm glad you're with us this morning to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. For the past 12 months, We've been learning about, we've been uh, being informed of what is and what is not essential in our culture. We've learned that some businesses are and some are not. We've learned that some workers are and some are not. And we've learned that some events are and some events are not considered essential. And you've been probably on both sides of that line throughout the last 12 months. But really, even further back than just the last 12 months, we have been wrestling with the idea of whether going to church is essential or not. Is it essential? We've been trying to figure out what's more important, what's most important in our life. We've struggled with this for a long time. Is it going to church or is it sleeping in? Is it going to church or is it making a couple extra dollars at a side job? Is it our kids budding sports career, or is it our kids being involved at church? Is it giving financially to a church or giving financially to a hobby? We've been wrestling with this for our entire life. You have been, just like I have been. I believe, I believe that church is absolutely essential. At this church right here, we do three things. We help people come to Jesus. We help people come to worship our Lord, to read his word, to know what he says. We help people thrive in family. I want you to thrive in a family. I don't want you to attend a church. I want you to thrive in a family. And we help people go on the mission of the kingdom of God. We don't just go to church around here. We come to Jesus. We thrive in family. We go on mission. I believe church absolutely is essential I know that's a preacher thing to say, but I believe it is absolutely a life and death matter for us. It is a life and death thing. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, I want to read a couple of verses to you, and then we're going to jump into the main part of the message in just a bit in John chapter 11. But in Romans chapter 6, the apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, we know that our old self, our old way, our old life, was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, Paul knew, and the readers of his words, in the context of their culture, they knew that crucifixion meant death, execution, it's a consequence. And Paul writes, and he says, we know our old self has died so that 
we're no longer slaves to sin. When you're a slave to sin, everything you do is infused with death. When you are a slave, when you revel in and wallow in and enjoy and pleasure in your sin, and I have the same as you have in the past, when we live that lifestyle, living in our sin, we are infused with brokenness and darkness and death and decay, and everything we do is broken. Paul said this. He said, we know this because, he says, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We don't have to live as slaves to sin. We don't have to live lives infused with death. Anyone who has died, anyone that has let their old self be crucified with Christ has been set free from being a slave to sin. Now, Paul says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We will live with him. I believe being a part of this body right here in this room right here is a life and death thing. I tell my kids all the time, life is all about choices, and every choice that we make has a consequence, either positive or negative. When we choose to revel in, to wallow in our sin, we're choosing the consequence of death in eternity and death right now. When we choose to let our old self be put to death on the cross, then we are choosing to live, to be set free from that. This morning, I'm glad you're here to pursue life. And I'm excited to be able to share with you in the next few minutes about how we can gain life in Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 11 in a moment. I want to just pray for us first. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. I thank you that you have, you have provided for us a way for us to know your words. We don't have to question, I wonder what God thinks about this. We can just read it right here. Father, I thank you that you have made us, you have named us, you have rescued and redeemed us. And Father, now we get to live with you, not just in heaven, but we get to live with you today. I thank you for that. I pray you'd speak to us out of your word right now. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 11 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, before I jump into this, I want to give you one today. At our next steps table, directly out the back doors, we have a stack of these just like this one. And you can have the Word of God. It's free. We want you to have it as a gift from me to you. So take the Bible with you today. Uh, in John chapter 11, we're going to read about an event that Jesus experienced as he was Walking with his disciples, a messenger comes to him and pulls him away, and he experiences this whole thing that is wrapped up in death and life. And I think has a lot of truth for you today. John 11, verse 1, says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He, he knew him. Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, also both friends of Jesus. It says in parentheses, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. See, there's a history here. There was a moment Jesus was eating a meal and Mary came in and poured perfume on his feet and then she, she wept on it and she dried it with her hair as a moment of just surrender, a moment of just being made humble in front of Jesus in, in worship and adoration. This is the same Mary that had done that. It says, so the sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus. 
They said, Lord, Lord, the one you love is sick. They sent a messenger to go find Jesus wherever he was on the trail, whatever he was doing, wherever he was at, to go and to say, Jesus, your friend, Lazarus, the one you love, he's sick. The implication is, Jesus, come quick. I've seen you heal people. I I know how you've made people that were lame walk and blind see and lepers be healed and pure and clean now. I know you can do this, so come quick. That's the implication. The messenger gets there and tells him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, when he heard this, Jesus said, he said, this sickness will not end in death. Well, that's good news to the disciples because they're friends with Lazarus too. He just says to the messenger, to the disciples around him, hey, Lazarus is not going to die. It's not going to end in death. No, Jesus says, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Everything Jesus does is to bring glory to the kingdom of God. Now Jesus, it says next verse, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And now when I'm reading this, I expect that it's going to say, in context, oh, Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was sick, he jumped up and he hurried off to go where Lazarus was to see him, to comfort the family, to talk to him, to spend time with him. Lazarus is near death. He wants to go see him one last time. And that's what the implication was. Come quick, Jesus. That's what I would expect out of anybody that I, I know. If, if, if I send word that, hey, your, your friend is sick and not doing well, I am implying and expecting you'll come see the friend. But Jesus says, I love you, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. I love you enough to stay here for two more days. I'm just going to stay where I am. And then he said to his disciples, okay, let's go back to Judea now. Let's go back now. But rabbi, that means teacher, they said, the disciples said, a short while ago, the Jews there at Judea, the Jews there, Bethany, they tried to stone you, to take rocks and to throw them until you were dead. They were going to kill you. They tried to stone you, and yet you're going back now? We have to pause the text just to learn a few things, to realize together as a family a few things out of the word right here. And one thing we have to learn is that God's timing It's always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Everything God does is right on time, right when it's needed. God's never early. God's never late. He's right on time. But I was just reading here. I mean, he found out his friend Lazarus was not doing well. So he waited for two more days. So maybe you're wondering, maybe you're asking the question, why would Jesus right here, why does Jesus wait two days? Why does Jesus wait two days instead of going off to help his friend? Or really, maybe what you're wondering is more relevant to you because you've been in a position maybe where you've been hurt, where you've been afraid, you've been confused or felt lost or scared. Maybe you've been sick or someone you loved has been sick and maybe you have cried out to God, God, just help me. I don't know what road you've walked to get in here today, but maybe you've cried out, God, help me right now. I need this right now from you. Comfort, hope, healing, guidance, whatever it is, help me. 
And it just seemed like Jesus didn't answer. Why does Jesus make you, make me, wait what seems like a long, unnecessary delay? Why? Because his timing is always perfect. And he's going to show up right when he'll gain the most glory for his kingdom. Maybe you're asking the question, when he said, I'm going to Judea, they said, but they tried to kill you there, didn't they? Why are you going back? Why would Jesus choose to go back to a place that hated him? Why did he choose to go back when they hated him there? Or more relevant to me and you, maybe. Because we talk all the time here at this church about how God has sent us on mission. He has sent us to our jobs, to our schools, to our neighborhoods to go and to share his gospel. And I say all the time, unashamedly, the most important thing you do is talk about Jesus. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your responsibilities or duties. It's the most important thing we do. Why does Jesus send us back to places that are uncomfortable, that are hard? Why does he send us back to places where we know they don't like us sometimes? Why does he send us back to places where we got rejected the last time? Why does he send us back? Again, the answer is very simple. God's timing is always perfect. And when God says go, it's the perfect time in the plan of the kingdom of God. When God says wait, it's the perfect time to wait in the plan of the kingdom of God. And sometimes the love of God is so strong for us that he's willing to let us do the hard thing so we can see the most glory from his kingdom. So he says, I so love you, and I know it's hard, and I know you hurt, but today you're going to wait. I know you wish it was different, but trust me, and you'll see the glory of my kingdom. And God so loves you that sometimes he says, I know you don't want to go back to that place where you were yesterday when everybody laughed at you. I know you don't want to go back to that place that exiled and rejected you and pushed you away and ostracized you, but it's time to go back. So that you and everybody you know can see the full glory of my kingdom. It's time to go. Because God's timing is always perfect. Because God can see a plan, a picture. He knows more than me. He knows more than you, and he can see how it all works together. And so Jesus says, we're going back to Judea. They say, well, well they didn't like you there. And back over here in verse 9, Jesus answers them. He says, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. But it is when a, world wa a person walks at night, they stumble, for they have no light when you walk in the light of God, you can see where you're going, but when you walk without God, you're going to stumble and fall down. It's going to hurt every time. After he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there to wake him up. He's fallen asleep. See, Jesus uses the word sleep, not dead. He's fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples replied, well, well Lord, yeah, if he sleeps... He'll get better. Right? I mean, that's what I do when I have a, a sickness. I sleep and I get better. And Jesus had been speaking of his death, though, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep because the disciples still don't fully understand how the kingdom of God works. They don't fully understand the power of the resurrection. They don't fully understand the power of life over death. 
So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Just lays it out there. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. So you may believe, but let us go to him. See, that, that can be taken as offensive kind of words. In fact, in our culture, that would be so offensive, the disciples would go off on their own and leave him, wouldn't they? He says, Lazarus, our friend, my friend, your friend, he's dead. And I'm kind of glad I wasn't there, so you can experience the full weight of his death. Well, I don't like that. The disciples don't like that, but, but Jesus, we don't want our friend to be dead. What are you talking about here? Lazarus is dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. Let us go to him. God has a bigger plan than they understood. And Jesus knew the disciples. He knew that Mary and Martha, he knows that you and me need to fully accept death. We need to experience death if we're going to attain life. We have to experience and accept death if we're going to get life. Jesus knows the only way to get resurrection is to accept death. The only way to accept resurrection is to get death. The only way to have the life that Jesus wants you to have is to accept that some things have to die so you can live. Remember Romans chapter 6? Remember Romans 6? Put it back up on the screen here. Romans chapter 6 says this. We know, we know that our old self, our old self was crucified with Jesus, put to death, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, Paul is talking about resurrection. He's talking about life, not just in heaven and eternity, but right now today where you're at. He's talking about life. But if you're going to get life, you have to accept first that the old way is crucified and put to death. You have to accept first that some things have died. Because, Paul wrote, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. Here's the thing. If you are trying to follow Jesus, but also hold on to your past that's full of sin and infused with death, you'll find that following Jesus is impossible. If you're trying to follow Jesus with one foot, but keep the other foot planted in a lifestyle that rejects him, you're going to find out that it splits you in half, and you can't follow Jesus. If you're trying to follow Jesus while having a secret side that no one knows about when you're on the internet, or when you're with people, or when you're alone by yourself, or when you're with certain crowds, you're going to find out that eventually... You can't follow Jesus, and people will see through that false mask that you're wearing. The only way to get resurrection is to accept that your sin has to die. The only way to get life with Jesus is to let your old habits and ways and addictions and problems be put to death. It's the only way. Back in the text here, in John chapter 11, it says Thomas, one of the disciples here, Thomas, also known as Didymus, he says to the rest of the disciples, he says to them, oh, let us also go that we might die with him. 
I mean, they're just kind of throwing their hands in the air. Okay, Jesus, you know the place you want to go. They tried to kill you last time. They'll probably get it done this time. And Thomas doesn't know a lot else. He has some, some questions about some things. But he says, okay, if you're going to do this, I'm going to go with you. Because Thomas knows one thing. He knows one thing. No matter what happens, he wants to follow Jesus wherever he goes. So let's go. I'll just die with you, Jesus. Let's go along the way. And then a couple days go by, the journey happens, and we're going to learn in a second that Jesus and his disciples, they stretched a two-mile walk into a few days. They kind of took their sweet time getting there. And it says in the next verse, on his arrival now in Bethany, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb and buried for four days. He's buried for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, You could have walked there in an afternoon real easy, but he stretched it out for a while. Four days in the tomb. And many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Now when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Martha gets out there to Jesus. She says, Lord, she says, Lord, if you had been here, My brother would not have died. Little complaint. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Little begging. If you'd been here, you could have stopped this. But I know you can still do whatever, so come on, Jesus. And Jesus says back to her, he says, your brother will rise again. He will rise again. And Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's way later on. Jesus, I know this. But Jesus says, he's going to rise again like in a few minutes, Martha. Like in a few minutes. And then he says one of my favorite lines that Jesus ever said in the Gospels. He looks at her and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God who's coming in the world. But that wasn't really an answer to the question. The question was, do you believe that if you believe in me, you will live even though you die? Notice Jesus said, I am the resurrection. He didn't say I was or I will be. He says, I am right now, every now, every moment. I am the resurrection for you. Wherever you're at, whatever is going on for you, I am the resurrection in your life. But to get the resurrection, you've got to accept the death first. You've got to accept things die so they can live again. After Martha had said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. She says, the teacher's here. He's asking for you. Mary, when she heard this, she got up quickly and went out to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him when the Jews had been with Mary in the house, comforting her. When they noticed that she got up and she quickly left and went out, they followed her, thinking she was going to the tomb to mourn there. They were going to go along and mourn with her. But when Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell At his feet, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, they they believed he had power to heal, but they hadn't accepted that life comes after death yet. They didn't know what it looked like to really live free from death. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He asked, 
where have you laid him? Notice he didn't say, where did you bury him? Because Jesus knows this isn't final. Where'd you lay him down at? Where'd you lay him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. And at that, Jesus wept. Then the Jews that saw his tears, they said, well, see how he loved him? They, they took his tears for love. They said, see how he loved him? But some of them there, they saw the tears and they said, but could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying too? So some saw him weeping and said, oh, look how Jesus loves Lazarus. Others saw him weeping and said, couldn't he have showed up earlier and been better? You know, sometimes even when we believe Jesus is the Lord and Jesus is the victor over death and we believe Jesus is guiding our steps and we believe Jesus is going to heal and going to fix all that is broken and redeem and restore all this messed up, even sometimes then, when we look around ourselves, we turn the TV on and we watch things on social media and we hear people talk, it can feel like death's winning. And it makes us say, even in that moment, Jesus, couldn't you just have snapped your fingers and taken it all away? Couldn't you just take it all away? Because it feels like death is winning sometimes. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. There was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He says, take away the stone. The Lord, said Martha, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? The glory of God is revealed in everything from creation till today. And everywhere you look and everything you see, you can see the glory of God all around you. And the sun rising, the sun setting, and the birds chirping, and the animals, and the relationships you have. You can see the glory of God everywhere. But the glory of God is never more revealed than it is in the power of resurrection over death. And Jesus says, didn't I tell you? Lazarus will not end in death. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God in its finest moment? Didn't I tell you that? So I took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and he says, Father, praying to heaven, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here all around me, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And because of this, because people had accepted that Lazarus was dead, after four days they had accepted that this is the end. They accepted the, the, the weight of death, but now they see life. They'd gone through accepting death and now they see life. And because of this, it says many of the Jews that were there they saw what Jesus did and they believed because they'd accepted death and now witnessed the glory of God revealed in resurrection over death. I love that in John chapter 11, Jesus has the final word. I love this, not the, the people. It's not Martha, it's not Mary, it's not even Lazarus. We don't read that Lazarus came out and then he said, yay, I'm alive again, and then the, 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 the event was over. I love that Jesus has the final word. Lazarus, come out. Didn't I tell you? 
You'll see the glory of God revealed in the power of resurrection over death. He's the, Jesus always has the final word. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, everywhere, Jesus always has the final word. He always has the final say in your life and in my life just the same way. We can try to argue with God if we want to. Jesus will have the final say. We can try to revel in our sin if we want to. Jesus will have the final say. We can surrender to Jesus, let our past be put to death so we can receive life and freedom from sin. Jesus has the final say. He always has the final say. Do you know what the last thing Jesus says in the Bible is? Do you know? I mean, when I I look at the Gospels and I look at the Bible and I, I wonder, what's the last thing that Jesus says in this whole book right here? Maybe you've been reading through Good Friday and Saturday and Easter Sunday and you're like, well, on the cross... Jesus said some stuff. It's really good. He was nailed there by people. One day, the people had cried out in worship of him. Seven days later, they cried, crucify him. And now he's nailed on the cross. And he's on the cross hanging. He looks after the people. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, that's good stuff. That's not the last thing he said. There's a moment on the cross. Jesus is hanging there. And he feels the full weight of the sins he's taking on the cross, the full weight of the sacrifice of the death. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has a moment that it feels dark. And we're like, oh, that's good stuff. Because Jesus knew what it was like to feel hurt. That's not it. There's a moment on the cross, though, right, where he's hanging there, right before he breathes and gives his spirit up, and he gives up his life for you and for me. Right before that, it says Jesus cries out in a loud voice, it is finished. Oh, I love that. Death is finished. Sin is finished. Satan is finished. That's good stuff, but that's not the last thing he said. Maybe you flip ahead to the end of the Gospels, Matthew 28. Jesus gathers the disciples up on the side of a hill, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so therefore go make disciples of all the nations. You go tell them the good news that there is power of resurrection over death. When we let our past be put to death, we can live again. Go tell everybody that. It's good stuff, but that's not the last thing. In Acts chapter 1, he pulls the disciples together. Another account of the, the right before he ascended to heaven, he says, you go be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Israel and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You go do that. That's not the last thing. We read forward in the epistles, Paul quotes Jesus talking about communion, where Jesus said, you, you take this bread, this, this cup that represents the body that was broken, the blood that shed on the cross, and every time you're together, you eat and drink this in remembrance of me. That's not the last thing he said, though. If I look over here to Revelation chapter 22, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, the, the disciple John, the apostle, he's been living in exile now persecuted, attacked, imprisoned, and exiled because he's a follower of Jesus. Because he let his past be put to death, he accepted that some things in his life had to die, and now he gets to live with Jesus, not just in heaven, but every single day, even in exile, even when it hurts, even when it's hard, even when it's painful. He's living that way. He's in exile, and he has this vision from God where God opens heaven and shows John all these things, and John writes them down. We call it revelation at the end of the Bible. If you go to the very last chapter, Revelation chapter 22, one verse before the end, we see that Jesus has been talking. He's been talking to John in this vision. 
In Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, this is what Jesus says. He says, yes, I'm coming soon. Because God's timing is always perfect. In your life right now, you're in pain. You're in confusion. You're in hurt. And Jesus says, hey, remember, I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing resurrection over the death that you've been infused with because of your sin. Remember, I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing life and freedom from the sin that you've been a slave to. Right now, when you feel like a failure because you have sinned and you've been tempted, you've messed up one more time, Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And I'm bringing life with me. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And I'm going to fix all the things that are broken in this world. I'm coming soon, and you get to live not just in heaven. That's not what Paul was talking about. That's not what life is all about. Not just in heaven. That's the reward at the end of a life lived following Jesus. He says today, right now, April the 4th, right here, today, you get to have life. I'm coming soon, and I have the final say. And there's nothing, no problem, no attack, no enemy, no barrier, no problem, no hurt, no pain, no grave, nothing can stop me I'm coming soon so when you're in a hard moment and you feel like God has you in the middle of a long unnecessary delay from your perspective you need to walk to the mirror you need to point at yourself say don't forget it hurts today but Jesus is coming soon when you're in the middle of problems, in your job or your family, you need to remind yourself and people around you, I know it's hard today and I know we're in an uncomfortable place and Jesus said go back and I didn't want to come back. But Jesus says I'm coming soon. He's going to make it right. Here at this church, when we follow Jesus, we start by confessing, by acknowledging, by knowing and owning the fact that we are sinners, that we are living as a slave to sin infused with death and everything that we do. We acknowledge that. We confess that. And then we repent. We change the way we think. That's what repent means. We change the way we think about that sin, about that past, about that death that we've been wrapped up in. And we reject it. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want that to be my, my legacy, my name, my reputation anymore. I don't want that to be me anymore. And we push it away. And then we walk into some water. And we're lowered in the water, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so our past can be forgiven. And in that moment, the, the, the past, the sin, the past self, what we've rejected and pushed away, it is crucified with Jesus. It dies. And as we are lowered into the water, we accept that part of us has to die. We can't keep one foot in that anymore. Part of it has to die. And then when we rise up out of the water, we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit of God, full of life.
and we see the glory of the kingdom of God revealed in its finest moment. As we accepted the death of our past and we received the life of our future. If you've never followed Jesus, then today I want to invite you to do that. In just a moment, we're going to begin singing a song. As soon as we stand to sing, if you just need to take a next step and say, I need to confess that I'm a sinner and follow Jesus for the first time, I want to invite you just to, in that moment, get up and walk out of the room. Back in the lobby, there's a next steps table, and one of our elders will be out there, and he would love to talk with you and pray with you and help you take that next step. Today could be the day you can let your past die so you can have life. For all of us that have already done that, we've been following Jesus and we're struggling to let the past be fully dead and gone. We're struggling with all that. I want to challenge you to live every single day and every single moment, never, ever forgetting that Jesus has brought you life. So if it seems hard today, you remind yourself, Jesus says, yeah, I know it hurts. I'm coming soon. And you live and walk in the life that Jesus brought you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for all these words that you've said to us. I thank you for John 11 and for Romans 6. I thank you for, for your, your last words in Revelation. You're coming soon. I thank you, Father, that we can live in a hope and not despair. I thank you that we can live in life and not death. I thank you that we can live in joy and not sorrow. Father, we can walk with you. Father, I thank you. And I pray right now in this room we would all be responding to you. And I pray you are bringing resurrection over death right here. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.